While we were doing research for this episode, there was a night where I was woken up twice by two earthquakes. We had another one that I slept through, and then North Carolina had an earthquake. So I was like, if I die while doing John Tenter research, I will spend the rest of my afterlife not being able to deal with the irony. Well, I remember when it happened, I was actually sleeping, which is a rarity. Just to let you know, me sleeping is, is not something that happens. Standing up. You were standing up sleeping. I, I'm Danny Glover. I am narcoleptic. <laughs> I just, I, I can fall asleep standing up. I remember being in my bed and like dead asleep. And then all of a sudden it happened and it sounded like somebody was breaking into my house. Like when it, that was happening and it was shaking. And my first thought in my mind when I was waking up was like, why is Dwayne Johnson breaking into my house? <laughs> I don't know why I picked Dwayne The Rock Johnson breaking into my house. And now as I sit on Ten Bell Pod and tell you this story and then think about all the stuff that I said about him on How Did This Get Booked, I go, oh, now I know why Dwayne The Rock Johnson is breaking into my house. He wants to murder me because <laughs> of everything I've said about him on a podcast. Well, this is our podcast, Ten Bell Pod. I am... Um... <laughs> Critically acclaimed journalist for the sports store, the the Hollywood media, Nick Alexander. And uh, as a journalist, it is my duty to inform you that my second host is Micah J. Lavey. It's already gone to your head too much. It's fucking, it's it's just too much. In the Manning Cave, we are joined by Trust in My Scout Righteous Tend to Side. The men's scout, Jake Manning. Whoa, you really had to shoot oh, that in. And then I feel like a week from now, I'm going to feel like that was actually the most appropriate thing you could say. I don't, <laughs> know. I don't even get that one. What was that a parody of? A system of the Down. Oh, I'm just glad I didn't get that one. That's all I'm saying. I'm glad I didn't get it. Cut my tent into pieces. Ah! (laughs) I finally got one for myself. I may re-download Twitter and put it on my phone this weekend just to tweet that out. I don't know. Uh, I think that's a great idea. (laughs) Because that's that's my new system in life is I basically re-download Twitter Wednesday for the previews for the virtual gimmick table. Keep it on my phone. And then as soon as I pull the orders on Friday and I've done the thank you for everybody watching and checked everything i delete twitter and instagram off my phone for the entire weekend and then don't re-download it again till wednesday that's a good idea it really is because like day-to-day wise life is okay for the most part even during all this bullshit but then you log on twitter and you're like oh we're all gonna die and everything is terrible always like Uh it's it's mental health wise so fuck social media man please follow us at timbo pod though all right we are covering sumo wrestler Pro wrestler and my future official cause of death, Earthquake. Or as Dino Bravo called him, Quakeski. John Anthony Tenta Jr. was born June 22nd, 1963 in Mario, Surrey, British Columbia, Canada. Also born on this same day. This might be the most badass on the same day birthdays I've, I've come across. UFC and MMA legend Randy Couture born on the exact same day as John Tenta. Both amateur backgrounds, both badasses. I don't know, something in the sperm. Year and everything? Or- yep, same day. Two guys were born who look like fucking 38-year-old <laughs> yeah, exactly. men when they were 21 years old. Like, it, it would only make more sense if I was born on the same exact day, and then you have three men who look like they're 42 when they're really 17. 
Also, to Mr. Fucking History Nerd on fucking birthdays and fucking uh, birthplaces, Surrey, B.C. Also, if I'm not mistaken, is the birthplace of NXT superstar Kyle O'Reilly. And he even talked about on his Steen Show interview about Steen Show interview or his art of wrestling about growing up in the same place as Earthquake. John was a big wrestling fan, marking out for Gene Kaniski and Don Leo Jonathan, and at six years old decided he was going to be a pro wrestler. I'm sure there's a promotion in New Jersey that would let you do it. Well, especially since he looked like he was 27 when he was six years old. (laughs) Enthralled with the business, a very young John started taking steps to become a wrestler. He'd get into amateur wrestling, where he found a lot of success. John was a Canadian junior champion in 81 and finished sixth in the super heavyweight category at the World Junior Wrestling Championships in Vancouver. On top of being a beast at wrestling, growing up, John was a pretty badass rugby player. And as you'll see, if there was a sport, dude was just good at it. It it, it didn't matter. Jake, do you ever play rugby? It seems like shot putter like you'd play. Mm, It's not something I would play, but when I was trying to figure out what rugby is, I got a very politically uncorrect explanation of it. You remember (laughs) that old game you used to play on the playground nick alexander where they used to call it oh yeah basically that with with, you know basically that's that's right that's 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 basically how i was explained to so i don't know what the 2020 explanation of that is um uh fuck it up the cuck is that what we would call it like (laughs) (laughs) fuck the cuck that's that's conflicting ideologies you don't fuck the cuck you cuck the cuck fuck up the cuck you don't fuck them you fuck them up Fuck up the cuck game show hosted by Chris Jericho debuting on Fox this fall. Should have said Jim Cornette. All right. Uh, Nah, Jericho works. (laughs) Big John got himself an athletic scholarship to collegiate wrestle at LSU. But in 85, LSU dropped the varsity wrestling program, forcing John to choose a new sport. So as he was already playing LSU rugby in a club, he was like, I guess I'll just walk on to the historic LSU football program, whatever. I guess I'll just do that. Well, let's take a step backwards on the wrestling program not existing. I remember somebody bringing this up and somebody being mad about it when really had a very good result. The reason why LSU dropped the wrestling program is because of Title IX, which was the legislation that said the universities also have to include female athletics as well. Uh, so the budget got split. They had to then create all facilities for females to participate in collegiate sports, which is a fantastic and wonderful thing, giving the opportunity for uh, numerous young females the opportunity to get scholarship uh, money and education. But of course, that eliminated a lot of wrestling programs as well, because wrestling programs didn't make as much money as football. You're not cutting out football. That's the cash cow for everybody else. I remember a lot of people saying that because of LSU, that they had a really good wrestling program. But goddamn Title IX and all these fucking women's lib fucking killed that. That's something that was said on an ESPN documentary and has been oh, played Lord. for decades. <laughs> so that's why when I saw the LSU wrestling, I go, hmm, I wonder if this will come up in the middle of the podcast. Whoop, there it is. I know, is. I know the context of why the wrestling program doesn't exist anymore, which ended up being a good fucking thing. Yeah, it's, fucking, it's only fair. It seems like uh, amateur wrestling, whether it's the Olympics or, or, or a college or a high school, first thing to get cut. Yeah, nobody gives yeah. a fuck about it. Nobody gives a fuck about it. I'm sorry. They it's don't. great. It's great. It gives. It instills the proper things. It's from ancient civilizations. 
uh, is the amateur wrestling. It's the basis for a lot of athletics. You can learn a lot of things. But the same too, a lot of fucking psychopaths in it too. Just <laughs> let you know. If they end up being the fucking best people, and then of course there's a ceiling to which you get to, and you get to the highest level, and then you're done with it, and then you just become a fucking psychopath. Like that's just <laughs> out in the fucking world. Uh, but yeah, it, it is unfortunate that usually the first thing they go because it is a tremendous sport, and it is is most certainly one of those sports that is obviously individual sports. Obviously, team sports are, are important, but individual sports are even better because it re- lets you know that you're relying upon yourself and all the work that you put in, you'll get that much out. And and amateur wrestling is very much like that. Where pro wrestling, you got to work with people. Team sports, you got to work with other people. Some guy can miss a field goal. Some guy can miss a shot, but you hit every three throw like Nick Alexander used to do all the time. Some guy missed a layup, and then he didn't win state that fucking year. Don't, let, don't <laughs> even get him started on that. But amateur wrestling is very much the first thing to go. It's tremendous sport, and it sucks that way, but it usually is because it doesn't draw any money. Do you think pro wrestling hurts amateur wrestling? Because think about, like, WrestleMania. You're coming out to fireworks, 80,000 screaming fans. They're going through tables. They're doing flips. And then you go to a high school match in fucking, I don't know, Des Moines, no, Iowa. If, if anything, fucking the f- shut your fucking mouth and go on an amateur wrestling show <laughs> at Des Moines, Iowa. You... <laughs> Fuck you for fucking even bringing that fucking town up. If you've ever seen the state tournament and the championship, like, finals of the Iowa fucking State fire. championship, no, it is. Because they get all six of the people, like the six finalists, and they walk them across all the fucking mats with this very big orchestral music. It gives me fucking goosebumps and makes everybody in that fucking arena stand up. So, fuck off. After college, Tenta wanted to take his six foot five, four hundred pound self into a different kind of wrestling, and he went over to Japan and started a career as a sumo wrestler. Apparently, pretty badass. Dude went straight undefeated, going twenty four and zero. Well, the fact that he was an American coming into sumo culture, and even like Americans coming in to wrestle for Japanese promotions, they were very much seen as outsiders. So. Coming into sumo wrestling, which is very uniquely part of the Japanese culture, I can't imagine just the the cultural barriers, the the pushback he got from other wrestlers. I mean, seems to be somewhat respected in the sport. Must have took a tremendous amount of effort on and off the mat, for sure, to prove his worth and prove that he he was worthy to be there. I'm sure that was very much an uphill battle the entire time he was there. Also, too, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he have, like, tattoos at this time? Yeah, he had that tiger tattoo on his arm. Which tattoos, if you have, you can really display those in Japan, because if you had tattoos, it means you're part of the Yakuza. Even having tattoos and being over there doing something that's very distinctly Japanese was probably a lot to fucking deal with. And you had to be a very special human being, which John Tenta obviously was. And if you see any attentive sumo wrestling pictures, you can see the bandage or whatever they put over his arm to block the tiger tattoo. So no one would think he's a sunglass-wearing gangsta. John Tenta, obviously, several years in the pro wrestling industry, rugby player, football player, amateur wrestler. He said sumo wrestling was the most brutal thing, the hardest thing he ever did, toughest on his body. And despite being a just beast at it, he decided to get out. So he left sumo wrestling and hooked up with Big Baba, where he would achieve his his little six-year-old dream of becoming a pro wrestler. 
And I watched way too many jumped into all Japan matches because I found a torrent that had all of them. So I'll try to hit some of the highlights on you. I won't uh, go play by play on 35 matches, but here we go. It all started on May 1st, 1987 was his debut. They paired him up with Baba for his first match. That says everything you need to know about how they viewed Tenta and gave him respect and wanted to put him over immediately by putting him with the God. He would participate in the 1987 Real World Tag League with the Great Kabuki. They'd go up against the Funks, Hanson and Gordy, Brody and a Murderer. Uh, and in 1987 in All Japan, he was still tagging with Baba, Masawa, Tenru. Just big names all around. One match that I found that was really cool, really fun, just with all the names involved. You got John Tenta teaming up with Jumbo Saruta going up against Bruiser Brody and Big Bubba, a.k.a. the Big Boss Man. Good stuff. All those dudes can work for their size, which it shows a lot, and they're moving around. Good stuff. And one of the coolest spots I saw John do is teasing a running dive to the outside. He would do this multiple times, and the crowd would just eat it up. So John would do the old the opponents on the outside, and he comes barreling off the ropes, flying towards his opponent. And he's right when he's about to jump and go over the top rope, he pulls back, hits the brakes, and that crowd loses their fucking mind. Just that, oh, it's so good. But man, I wanted to see John Tenna do a fucking plancha because that would have been amazing. Becoming a big star in all Japan would obviously catch the eyes of promoters back home. He'd head over to Al Tomko's NWA All-Star Wrestling in Vancouver. One cool thing you might want to seek out from his All-Star Wrestling days when he was a young dude in 1986, there's a YouTube clip of Tenta in Vancouver, and on the mic you get to hear a 16-year-old Mauro Ronaldo doing commentary. Kind of cool little, small little trivia crap if you want to watch it. He'd bounce between the NWA and Japan until 1989 when he landed a spot in the World Wrestling Federation that September. He'd start out in a dark match September 21st, 89 as Lumberjack Earthquake Evans from the Northern <laughs> Yukon Territory, managed by Slick and uh, beating Paul Roma, but that obviously wouldn't stick. Uh, he'd hit a couple house show dates before making his TV debut November 11th, 89 on WWF Superstars of Wrestling in Willing, West Virginia. In-ring interview with Mean Gene, Dino Bravo challenged the Ultimate Warrior to a push-up contest. Bravo, who at this time had the world record in bench press, wanted to show off a little bit, so he and manager Jimmy Hart looked for a random audience member to sit on Dino's back. In a shocking coincidence, John happened to be there. Oh. He got pulled up, claiming to be 460 pounds. He sat on Dino's back, who did a very impressive uh, six push-ups. Then, with only the type of confidence and energy that cocaine mixed with blind hate can give you, Warrior <laughs> runs down to the ring, assumes the push-up position. John takes his place, but then butts him right in the back, which in oh. all fairness is a customary greeting in West Virginia. Dino hits him with some elbows. Tenta hits him with a couple of the splashes. The refs try to stop him. But, you know, Dino Bravo technically wins as Warrior did zero push-ups. And just thank God Tenta was in view of the hard cam. Because if not, I mean, he might not have got called on. Then he doesn't get in the ring. Then he doesn't have a WWF career. We could have got like a Tenta Warrior thing. But they decided to keep on chugging along with Dino and Warrior. Which is probably good for John because Warrior wasn't losing anytime soon. John would keep working uh, house shows as the new heel in town and would soon make his pay-per-view debut at 89's Survivor Series where he took the place of Barry Windham on Macho Man's team. 
he eliminates Hercules with a splash. Crushed him good. The the highlight for me though is the face promo before the match where you get to see Bret Hart holding a two by four and doing his best hacksaw Jim Duggan. Ho! Just Bret Hart doing that. It's a weird fucking visual. Sensational Sherry, who was ringside, would pull down the top rope for the faces final guy, Hacksaw. He tumbles out. He takes the 10 count, and Earthquake's team gets the win. Back on the house show loop, Earthquake would go undefeated against Barry Horowitz, Coco Beware, Sam Houston, and Chief J Strongbow's son, Mark Young. We got autographed pictures of Mark Young at the office. So if you want to pick up one of those on the next virtual gimmick table, I'll put them out just for you, Micah. (laughs) I know you'll watch, unlike Nick Alexander, who requested Bobby Heenan autographs, and I put them out, and he goes, oh, sorry, I wasn't watching that day. (laughs) Canadian Earthquake would head to 1990s Rumble at 19. He comes in, he tosses out Dusty Rhodes, Acts of Demolition. And despite this hot start, he only lasts two minutes and 31 seconds as uh, Jim Neidhart, Haku, Smash, Snuka, who definitely murdered Nancy Argentino, uh, Ted DiBiase all team up to toss him out. They give Dino Bravo credit for the elimination here, too. But I think he was what? coming over. He was coming over to save him. Yeah, like, obviously. Course. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's only in for two minutes, but he looks like a boss here. When he immediately gets in, he just beats the shit out of Dusty Rhodes and clotheslines him out. He throws Axe out. And then it takes the entire other crew, all the other wrestlers in the ring, to gang up on him and toss him out. And when they do that, that always makes you look good. I mean, it's only two minutes, but man, he looks like a monster here. They really put him over. Yeah, and I like his association with Dino. Like, oh yeah, he's with me. And what they do with Earthquake, they're like, yeah, here's just a Canadian flag. We're going to sew that right on your... (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, it's so bad. You have the biggest, bluest singlet of all time. Yeah, we'll just sew a Canadian flag on there. (laughs) That's the size of a postage stamp. And everybody's going to get that, right? You can't really see. Like, you know that's not red, white, and blue. You think <laughs> yeah. it's hard. It's the size, like, of, it's the size of a, a Canadian dollar. Like, that's what it looks <laughs> like on there. It's very small. Yeah, they thankfully realize eventually, yeah, that looks like shit. A Canadian earthquake would be so gentle and polite. Excuse me, rumble, rumble, rumble. Excuse me. Sorry, I pardon me. I'm sorry about that. Tenta made his WrestleMania debut at WrestleMania 6, where he took on the mighty Hercules. Short match, but it's a good little power versus power story they do here. My favorite little thing here is Gorilla Monsoon puts him over by saying, he has already put 28 men in the hospital. Earthquake goes on to beat the mighty Hercules, and once you conquer the half-mortal Hercules, you can only go to the immortal. Hulk Hogan. Oh, that segue. Award-winning journalist here at Micah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of clickbait articles. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> in uh, May of 90, during a segment of the Brother Love show, Pritchard attempt to interview Hogan and Earthquake, but after Hulk walks out, Earthquake's representation, Jimmy Hart, would come inform him that he is not coming out. Hulk straight up grabs Jimmy and internet bullies him until he's saved by Earthquake. (laughs) He pops Hogan with a chair. He finishes him off with three Earthquake splashes. Hulk Hogan gets stretchered off. In reality, he was leaving to do the greatest film of all time, Suburban Commando. I have a confession to make. I've never actually seen Suburban Commando or Mr. Nanny. (sighs) I know. I'm a fucking poser, and it's kind of embarrassing. So, Nick. Do you remember crying during this angle? Because I sure did. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I caught this live. I think I was too young. Man, I just remember this was around the time when I was just hardcore getting into wrestling. Just everything about it. Me, Gene, and 
the kids in the audience crying and Vince McMahon coming in screaming and acting crazy and just the seriousness of it all. When was this? This was May 90, so that would have made me, what, eight? So, yeah, at that time, wrestling was still very real to me, and the possibility of Hogan dying in front of me was for real, and I thought I was seeing it. WWF would launch a Get Well Hulk promo where you were supposed to write a letter to P.O. Box uh, 911 in Venice uh-huh. Beach. Uh-huh. A tugboat would trip and fall through our hearts asking for its support. <laughs> I mean, Gene selling the whole segment. He's just on his game. And then they do this promo with oh, these so like funny. sad Hulk Hogan <laughs> moments. These flutes are like, I am a American. It's so, it's so, it's hilarious. Well, here's the thing though. The whole reason they did this was to get your mailing address. So then once you mailed in, they have your mailing address. They can put it on a list and they can start mailing you the WWF merchandise catalog. Or like, hey, you're in this area. Let you know the WWE is coming to town. Here's their house show schedule. This is all a data collection ploy. Fucking Zuckerberg before Facebook. With Hogan out, Earthquake hit the house show circuit with Hacksaw Jim Duggan until the power of all the little Hulkamaniacs lifted Hulk out of the darkness, brother. And he would come back to face Earthquake at 1990 SummerSlam with the big boss man by his side. Who would have thought a dude that uses the iron word would be friends with a cop? (laughs) Just this whole angle, but specifically this match, they did such a good job teasing that, fuck, this is it. This is when Hulk Hogan can't do it. This is, Earthquake's too big. He's too strong. Yeah, I always thought this was I always thought this was weird too because the Ultimate Warrior is the champion at this time. But if you look at the VHS box, which I think I might have on my wall somewhere, I, I know I had that for a while. Is that you know Hulk is clearly like the main event. You know Hulk Hogan coming back, taking on Earthquake, even though technically the Ultimate Warrior is the champion and he should be the main event. And it's it's one of those things where they've kind of been like, we don't know how this Warrior thing's going to work out. We need, really need Hulk back and kind of kind of need that to happen again. So, you know, so it's, it's one of those weird things. I always think about this. Technically, it's a double main event. It's one yeah. of those things. One thing that really stood out to me that's highlighted in this match is with how big Earthquake was, and how much it took to knock him down. He was so good at teasing that, oh, I'm wobbling, oh, God, I'm almost going to go down. Hogan knocking him and knocking him, and then when he finally gets Earthquake down, man, the crowd just fucking explodes, and it's such a cool moment that Earthquake helps create. Kind of clusterfuck finish. End up on the outside. They try to put Quake through a table. Hogan rolls in last second, gets a count-out victory, and then, speaking of the boss man assaulting people, fucks him up. Yeah, dude, he hits. He has to hit him three times in the back hard with that chair before Earthquake sells it and turns around. It's brutal. After this match, Hulk Hogan in the back calls out Saddam Hussein. He thinks that got back to Saddam Hussein. He was like, Hulk Hogan oh, sure. just fuck, said he's coming for you. I'd be like, Jesus, <laughs> all right. <laughs> it's kind of like, when Obama talks shit about Kanye West, when Kanye West <laughs> jumped on stage with Taylor Swift, like, I'll never forget that. I, and I remember, like, the Daily Show doing a bit about it. He goes, I don't get it. I don't know why Kanye just jumped on there. <laughs> Taylor, I, I, I don't know her music very well, but my daughters do. But uh, she seems like a nice lady. It was, a, it was a nice moment for her, and he just jumped on stage. What an asshole. <laughs> and it's like one of those, and I think it was like John Stewart or it was Trevor Noah was just like, man, 
Imagine how weird it is for somebody to come up to you and be like, hey, the president was talking about you. You're like, oh, yeah? <laughs> what? What did he say about me? <laughs> <laughs> so remember, this is 1990. The house show business is still the main thing here, so they didn't want to blow off this feud. They still want people in Poughkeepsie, New York, to pay to see Hulk and Earthquake. So next, the 90 Survivor Series, Hulkamaniacs, Big Boss Man, Hulk, Jim Duggan, Tugboat, faced the natural disasters, Barbarian, Bravo, Earthquake, Haku. And Earthquake kind of stays on the apron a good bit for this. He finally gets some work in against Hacksaw. Hacksaw, like mid-match, just starts clocking people with his two-by-four against (laughs) He swings it at the ref's head. He attempts to kill the fucking ref. And one other great thing, the promo before the match is uh, Hogan with another Saddam Hussein call out. And uh, not only does he volunteer himself to go to the Gulf War, but he also volunteers his entire team. And now that like we've, we've got the summoning the wrestles of the world and they tell us the story of this, is that the, one of the original plans for WrestleMania 7 was for tugboat to turn and be chic tugboat <laughs> much like jerry blackwell did in awa align himself with chic adnan now casey they were going to have tugboat do that but obviously it worked a lot better because sarge had mended his relationship with vince so it worked better because it was another military guy he can come out with the uniform and it made sense and i just think to myself like you know what this is one of the what ifs that I wish would have happened. <laughs> now, granted, this could have collapsed professional wrestling as a whole. Like, I feel like if they went and went down this path, probably could have killed the WWF in the early He's <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't see you coming back from something like this. The, the Sergeant Slaughter stuff and talking about burning the flag and all those things with a guy who said he, who in interviews would say later years, like, oh, I was a former military drill sergeant when you really weren't. Uh, I love you, Sarge, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and then like saying all the things that they did while people are dying in Iraq, while Iraqis themselves are fleeing the country because their country's being bombed by America. Uh, yeah, maybe not the best in taste of things. And just one little moment to throw in there to give Tenta more love is you got the big boss man coming off the top rope and Tenta just catches the big boss man. And you know how big that dude was. But Tenta just, that eh, like it was nothing. It's a Hulk Hogan match. He hulks up, LOL, Cena wins. <laughs> then uh, the 91 Royal Rumble, uh, Earthquake entered this time at 22. He got 24 minutes this time, four eliminations, Tito, Bushwhacker, Luke, Animal, and then cruised all the way to the final four where he helped Brian Nobbs toss out British Bulldog. This left Hogan taking on Quake and Nobbs. Impossible odds for the Hulkster, but, you know, he, he wins. Earthquake makes it to the final two, though. That's uh, another big moment. But again, we're not going to get a blow-off match. This is the house show business. And this is kind of the end of their feud. He'd work house shows against Hogan until WrestleMania 7, where he was done for good. And also around this time, uh, late 90s, early 91, just from a tape nerd perspective, this got me so interested because Hogan and Earthquake did like 15 to 20 stretcher matches. And usually like these bigger matches, like they might do one at MSG and it shows up on an MSG card that they put on the network or at least one would pop out, but I did all the digging and for 15 to 20 to happen and not one be out there is sucks. Cause I mean, those two in a stretcher match, that would be fun. Might be a disaster, but it'd be fun as hell. So if anybody out there has one or knows where one is, send it my way. Cause I'd love to see that shit. 
Hogan would focus on U.S. turncoat Sergeant Slaughter, as Jake alluded to, and Earthquake would begin his post-Hogan's monster downswing, starting with WrestleMania 7 facing Greg Valentine. This is a three-minute match. Hammer puts up a fight. You can't get the figure four on the big guy. Earthquake beats him with the splash. Then we get into quite a weird thing here. WWF would head to Kobe, Japan, to do a show for the Japanese promotion Super World of Sports. And there was a natural grudge match built here with Earthquake taking on fellow ex-sumo wrestler turned pro wrestler Koji Katao. So they have a match March 30th of 91, which Earthquake won. And Koji was very salty about doing the job, which led to April 1st, 91. Take it away. All right, let's see. I was talking about this with Nick earlier. Because when you're a wrestling nerd, at some point, you go down a YouTube rabbit hole of finding all the wrestling matches that turned into shoots. Just the the great Antonio and Inoki, when Inoki just gets tired of his crap and just slaps the shit out of him over and over. And somehow, I had never seen the John Tenta Katow shoot. And holy fuck, man. It, it exceeded all my expectations, man. It just... I love how they shoot Japanese matches and they know how to the camera angles at the right timing for certain dramatic moments and when they punch in for that close up and this match has that in waves. It's just you can you can see the slight perturbances and just all the little things. It's like, wait, that's that that seems a little off. And then when Katal finally goes for a shoot arm lock and Tenta immediately pulls back and slaps the shit out of him, and the crowd's like, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. And just that the the, the emotion in Tenta's face, and Katow standing there like, yep, I'm done, I'm done with this shit. And the, the close-ups of, I was so floored and riveted by this shit, and they just stay in those close-ups, and Tenta's there looking like the most badass of badasses, bit hyperbole there, but when you're watching it, it that's what it feels like, man. He just doesn't back down at all. And I'm marking out here because it's just, it gets me so excited just thinking about it. Well, to back up a little bit, you know, SWS was was actually a new Japanese wrestling promotion. And basically, Teneru was the one that kind of was spearheading it. Basically, Teneru had broke away. Like I said, as I mentioned before, Teneru would bounce back and forth from all Japan to New Japan. Well, he found an angel investor from a Japanese eyewear company and got them to invest in a wrestling promotion because he felt that he because all japan was making a lot of money off a lot of guys like stan hansen and brody and saw that but tenor with his connections of spending a considerable amount of time traveling to the united states felt that like hey what if you brought wwf over here and wwf guys and intermix them with some of our guys and get some of our guys over display some of our wrestling that's why some of those sws cards are so super weird like, you'll have Ultimate Warrior versus Ted DiBiase, and then the <laughs> next match is, like, Ultimate Dragon versus Anjo or somebody, somebody somebody like that, like, another guy that's, or a Super Junior match, or and then, then back to Carrie Von Eric, Shawn Michaels. So like, the weirdest, <laughs> some of the weirdest structured cards, or you would have Demolition taking on Teneru and Hulk Hogan, and they had, like, these really wonderful light shows. So he's basically trying to do, like, a WWF thing. And, of course, because these guys are getting money from this eyewear company and WWF guys are coming over, they're getting paid through this company. So it's a, a booking, and the WWF gets their cut. Hence why you see 
Tenderu make an appearance at WrestleMania 7. You also see Katao at WrestleMania 7. Basically just to kind of like, hey, we want to have a good working relationship. We want we want to like put some extra money in all of our guys' pockets. And we get a percentage of that money because you're booking them through us. But also, too, it's like we don't have to pay them any more money and they make more money at the end of the year. So it's like, hey, when you work for the WWF, this is what you do and this is what we can do for you. But where the issue started to come is they felt that their Japanese wrestlers had to be more featured. But then the WWF's like, why would we lose you? You know, why? it's like our guys are bigger stars than you. You brought us in. So there was always that conflicting thing. And this is one of those examples where they, you know, Katao probably thought like, well, we've been doing this for a while. We've made the WWF guys look good. Surely someone like Earthquake would make me look good. And that was most certainly not the case. And as Micah said, just the, when you hear that Earthquake... If you're like me, if you hear Earthquake got into a fight, you're like, huh, what? Like, I know he's a, like a tough dude, but like, what the fuck does that look like? And then you actually watch the footage and you're like, ooh, this got dark real fast. Yeah. <laughs> like, this, this, is, this is like disturbing the anger in John Tenta's face. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, whoa, this is like another fucking level of anger. <laughs> and this is disturbing. And it wasn't until I heard like, an interview with somebody where they were talking about Stu Hart and Stu Hart talking about some of the all-time like badasses of all all time. And I guess one of the things that Stu always used to say when they'd be like, ah, who is the biggest badass? And everybody always talks about Haku. And of course, you know, Stu's got that picture of Luther Lindsay in his, in his, in his wall, like, eh, the, the only guy that ever the best me. Let's go right here. But like, you know, the thing that Stu always used to say when people are like, oh, this guy's a badass. Like, oh, Stu, you know, this guy over here, yeah, he was six-time AAU champion, you know, Stu would always be like, eh, i never seen anybody move John Tenta before. <laughs> 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 like, I was always saying that Stu was like, eh, John Tenta, i never seen anybody move him. Like, salivated the idea of the man. So if, like, Tenta would have been around when Luther Lindsay was around, like, Tenta might have been the other man in Stu Hart's wallet. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it just makes you realize, like, holy fuck. And then the idea of going through the eyes, like, supposedly, Tenta thought he was yeah. going for his eyes, and Tenta's like, I'm going go for my fucking eyes! I'll go for your fucking <laughs> eyes! Like, just like, God damn it! And I, I still love the out that Katow does. He's like, well, this is a fucking stalemate. Fuck it, I'll kick the ref and this one. <laughs> yeah, time. what the fuck? What the fuck? Pretty much after that, it slowly dissolved. Like, they stopped bringing over the major talent because Vince is like, I can't have this happen with Hulk. Yeah. You know, like, so you saw less and less guys over there. You still had some guys go over there. Like, I remember one time it was like Warlord and Shawn Michaels were wrestling on the fuck. It's like, what? Where the fuck's Barbarian? Where the fuck's Marty? Like, what? what? Yeah. And then, like, there'd be like a weird pairing of like Shawn Michaels and Jim the Anvil Nightheart taking on somebody. I'm like, what? Why the fuck are they teaming? Like, they're. And it's like Sean in non-rocker gear, like all black tights. I'm like, huh? Like, what the fuck is going on? So there's always like. <laughs> weird shit like that and even like towards the end like SWS they started to realize their relationship with WWF was souring so they'd have like WWF guys and then they'd bring over like Jeff Jarrett and Eric Embry like it was like weird it was just it slowly went downhill the houses went down but they were running like major dome shows but also too at the same time the, the the Japanese economy went in the tank too so obviously big shows like this went in the tank as well and these big huge shows and you even saw less big huge shows from new japan and all japan themselves so it was like a few years before they started running like dome shows until the economy kind of bounced back a little bit so what got edited out of this is that after the dq koji got on the mic and told the entire crowd that wrestling was fake 
Yeah, people fainted all over the place. They couldn't believe it. And sorry, there's so many great moments in this match, but right at the end, when the ref DQs Katal for kicking him, Tenta immediately throws his hands up in the air right in Katal's face. So petty. Katal. It's so amazing. He's like, I win. <laughs> and Katal walks away like the bitch he is. It's so good. Following this, the Earthquake would start a feud with Jake the Snake Roberts, which is predominantly a house show feud. But while we have Stu Hart here in studio, would you like to explain what happened to Jake the Snake Snake? This snake was put in the bag. And I was like, I put it, put it in there. And I brought it in the yeah. ring, and then it's on Tenta. I have never seen anybody move. Nobody yeah, moved. we know. Yeah. Nobody's yeah, we moved know. John Tenta. Jake tried. Jake tried. Right, right. Yeah, he tried. Tried, tried to move. The, tried to move quick. Yeah. He couldn't. Couldn't move quick. But I never uh-huh. see. Like, he, he didn't. He tried. He got. He got the uh, Sylvester. But he worked out. It's the earthquake. He knocked the Jake out. Then the quake hit the ropes. And right. he, uh-huh. he, he fucking he killed the snake. <laughs> Uh, he killed the snake. He killed the snake. Pussy <laughs> like a bug. You can see the veins. You can see the veins coming through the bag. You can see the veins. No, no, you definitely know about that. Trust me, no, I, no. I know all about the anatomy of snakes. I know there are snakes and humans. It's torture. They have the, the, the joint manipulation. Even though snakes don't have joints, it was manipulated. It, it was the bloody. It was very the bag was so bad. It's so bad. Oh. It's John Tenta. It's so much oh, better. It's right. a snake. The snake died before he jumped on the snake. The snake oh, knew what happened. He died before he landed on top of it. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what happened. Before he oh. squished him, the snake had a heart attack. Died. Oh. That's what happened. He squished the dead snake. He was so. Oh. Was, so Peter complained about it. They called the phone. They said, Hey, Dantenta, who we've never seen, oh. been moved. They said he killed the snake. And I said, Vince was like, No, the snake was already dead. And then got the snake autopsy. Yeah, exactly. Oh. He, they did the autopsy. They cut into it, <laughs> they cut open, and the doctor pronounced it dead before he's ever squashed. <laughs> It's a very accurate snake autopsy. They got the uh, best snake autopsy guy. They got uh, 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 Luther Lindsay Jr. So they did the uh, snake autopsy. Wow. And, 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 uh, so did I ever tell skills. you about it? It's very good. But his old man, Luther Lindsay, uh, they got a little picture of him in my wallet. I don't have pictures <laughs> of my kids, but I have Luther Lindsay. And his son was this amazing snake uh, autopsist. I should be a snake uh-huh. coroner, but no, he's a snake autopsist. That's, uh, that's how you say it in the snake world. Interesting. interesting. Uh-huh. Very interesting. But yeah, Tententa. Uh, he squished a uh, dead snake. Yes, he did. I heard it was just 60 pounds of hamburger meat in a bag. That's not true. Uh, that's true. That's true. true. Well, speaking of hamburger meat, on uh, uh, <laughs> following primetime wrestling, Earthquake showed up uh, for a little cookout with himself, uh, Bobby Heenan, Vince McMahon, Lord Alfred Hayes. He uh, gave him some uh, burgers and then revealed that uh, it was, in fact, Damien. The best moment is before they do the big reveal is one of the crowd members already knows it and they just spoil it and scream out, it's Damien! Yeah. <laughs> I've had snake before. I think a, a ground snake would probably be pretty lean and similar to a turkey burger. Some cannibals and serial killers have described human flesh as tasting like pork. So now you know that. Mm, haven't had that yet. We'll see how bad the end times get. Right. From here on, uh, Jake and Quake did a ton of house shows together, never really having a big pay-per-view match. And then later in 91, Earthquake formed a tag team with Typhoon called Natural Disasters, managed by Jimmy Hart. And big spot here with Andre the Giant, of all people. 
if you remember, they were doing this big thing where all the Hill managers were trying to recruit Andre. He turned them all down. We were thinking he was going to finally sign with Jimmy. He turns him down, and Earthquake uh, beats him up for it. Yeah, this was around the time where they were actually talking about doing an Earthquake-Andre feud. But this was around the time when they were also starting to realize that Andre couldn't handle that type of work. Yeah. So he turned into this kind of backup feuding role. Andre would be on crutches for the rest of his appearances, leading to his last major appearance at 91 SummerSlam. The Disasters took on the Bushwhackers with Andre. Earthquake wins. Then they go after Andre, who gets backed up by LOD, setting up the next feud for the Natural Disasters. One match that I just gotta step in and recommend for people to check out is Earthquake versus Big Boss Man. The Survivor Series showdown buildup, and it's on primetime wrestling, 11-11-91. There's so much heat for this match, man. The crowd is going ballistic. You got Heenan, who starts at the commentary booth, with Gorilla, who actually leaves it to go down to the ring. It's during his Big Boss Man feud. They get involved. Big Boss Man's comeback sequence in this is outstanding. And you got Heenan, uh, Gorillas, they're doing commentary, at commenting on Heenan going down to the ring and interfering, Bossman and Quaker clicking. It's just one of those primetime wrestling matches that is just so much fun. Old school characters doing what they're paid to do, and that's just brilliant. And LOD with the Bossman would take care of the disasters and IRS at Survivor Series. One fun little moment in the pre-match promo. Typhoon, a.k.a. Fred Ottman, a.k.a. a certain shocking wrestler in WCW, makes an announcement that he has some shocking news for LOD. The motherfucker, you gonna get shocked! <laughs> little hidden foreshadowing clue there by Ottman himself. He just didn't know the face-palming, face-planting future that awaited him. They'd uh, meet LOD at the Rumble for the tag team titles, and this match ends in a uh, double countout with all four men fighting outside. And then a very angry promo afterwards, as Earthquake's team clearly did not understand the countout rule. Another match going out of your way to see is the Natural Disasters versus Legion of Doom in Japan. 12 12 91, it's on YouTube. You get these two monster teams brawling in the crowd with chairs right at the beginning of the match. Tenta and Animal have a sumo square off sequence that had the crowd going bonkers and I even marked out. You got Tenta body slam and hawk through a hardway Japanese table on the outside. You can see them in Japan having a li little bit more freedom and they go all out and put on a fucking show. Jimmy Hart would turn on the disasters and join up with Money Inc. WrestleMania 8, they uh, took on Money Inc. They're having the match and in the middle of it, Money Inc. just leaves. <laughs> Yeah, it's the most classic heel bullshit there is. The whole idea of, hey, they got the titles, why don't they just walk off and get DQ'd or, or counted out? And that's exactly what they do. They take their titles and run. Classic heel bullshit. The Disasters finally won the tag team titles at a house show in uh, Massachusetts. They take them to merry old England and defend them against the Beverly Brothers. Jake, I feel like you like the Beverly Brothers. Is, am I wrong on that? Yeah, you know what? Like, cause they're AWA guys, and like, yeah, I still talk about this all the time. The fact the AWA ran shows in Clinton, Iowa, which was like thirty minutes away from my house in nineteen eighty nine, so I could have watched Wayne Bloom of the Beverly Brothers take on Larry Zbysko for the AWA World Heavyweight Title. Wow, upsets me to this fucking day. <laughs> I don't know if I should be upset at my parents 
or upset with the fact that AWA had such shitty promotion in Quick <laughs> So, uh, but actually, as we've kind of found out with Dark Side of the Ring, that wasn't the original plan. The original plan, I guess, was supposed to be the Road Warriors versus the Natural Disasters and winning the belt, if I'm not mistaken. Like, from what I remember, the Dark Side of the Ring. And then Hawk was uh, so fucked up because he took acid before oh. fucking SummerSlam. <laughs> wow. Uh, and so they're like, yeah, we need a good match for our tag titles. So the Beverly Brothers are here. So they put, like, Money, Inc. and Ted DiBiase out there because they knew that they were such pros that they could get a fucking assled, riddled fucking Hawk through a fucking match, which I've taken acid before. There ain't nothing I'm going to do other than take my clothes off and have a bunch of sex and... Yeah. Like, fucking whatever. Like, I, I, I think too, when I took acid, it was the same day as the Royal Rumble this year. <laughs> so I was coming down off of acid and turned it on, and then all of a sudden I heard... You think you know me. And I was like, what? <laughs> Imagine being on acid and then Edge makes a surprise entrance. Imagine what that fucking does to your fucking brain. <laughs> like, you thought you were crying during that moment? I cried all the fucking tears. <laughs> I took acid with Jason B one time and then we went to an open mic at the Evening Muse. And it hit me, and I sent him a text. I was like, dude, uh, where are you, man? I, I don't think I'm doing so good. And he was literally sitting right beside me and just tapped me on the shoulder and was like, I'm right here. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I, I I would never do acid with you because all I want to do is just fucking get romantic with a woman. That's all I want to do. <laughs> oh, so wow. I, I, that's, that, I am just a sexual being when I do that. Are you sure it was acid and not Viagra? What what is going on? Right, I took them both. Yeah, I yeah. took them both. I took them both <laughs> at the same time and just like had the top five one of the best days of my life, <laughs> hands down. I've never done acid before, but I've done mushrooms. And when I was on mushrooms, sex wasn't even close to thought. This has turned mm -hmm. into an like episode of jo Joe Rogan. Jamie, Google uh, podcast studios in Austin, Texas. Could you do that for me? <laughs> So uh, Earthquake gets the win with the splash in the SummerSlam match. Jake, the next segment on the WWE Network is a backstage interview with uh, Mean Gene and the Bushwhackers. And it is called The Bushwhackers Discuss Some Rumors. Any clue what rumors the Bushwhackers would have, Jake? Ooh. <laughs> uh, I know some rumors that Brickhouse Brown shared with me, and I don't know if I want to uh, spread slander. Uh, <laughs> right. Nah. I can forget. We're about to get canceled. Let's just, let's just move on. Following SummerSlam, Disasters would uh, keep working Money, Inc. all the way through October, where they dropped the belts to them at Wrestling Challenge. At the uh, 93 Rumble, we get a couple what-ifs here. Earthquake enters at 23. He goes straight for his tag team partner and eliminates him in a corner spot. Yeah, what the hell? It could have been a breakup angle, uh, the you know, may the best man win type of thing. And then later we get a big showdown with Earthquake and Yokozuna. That could have been a cool feud, but Yoko tosses the big man out. He lasted 11 minutes. He tossed out Partner Typhoon. He tossed out IRS. Uh, one of my favorite moments in rewatching this is Gorilla Monsoon of the call when Carlos Colon comes in. Gorilla goes, a lot of fire in this youngster. <laughs> Yeah, I looked it up. Carlos was 54 at the time of the call there. The Rumble could have set up a Yoko feud, could have set up a disasters breakup, but neither would happen because John Tenta left the WWF the night after the Royal Rumble. 
He'd uh, head to Japan to wrestle for war, and there he would work against King Haku, Great Kabuki, Otomo Dragon. And one match that Nick didn't bring up there was Tenta going one-on-one with Ryo, Lord of the Jungle, otherwise known as the Renegade. I wasn't aware that the Renegade was doing the Ultimate Warrior gimmick before he came to WCW, where they totally blatantly ripped it off. He's got the tassels here, and he does all the crazy shaking stuff. No face paint. But, yeah, that was interesting. And also, like Jake brought up, like in SWS, War would also have these weird, crazy pairings of wrestlers that didn't go together. And there's a really good one with John Tenta and Stan Lane versus Ultimo Dragon and Mil Mascaras. And the opening sequence to this match with Ultimo Dragon and Tenta is a just phenomenal comedy sequence between those two. It's really great to see Tenta do something that isn't a heel or isn't a big monster character, but he could do the comedy shit too. Really fun. King Haku, aka Ming, versus John Tenta is it's kind of a, your basic beat the crap out of each other match between two guys that big as you'd expect. But then hidden in it, starting around the 940 mark, if you want to look this up, is perhaps the funniest rope break pinning sequence I have ever seen in my wrestling watching life. And finally wrapping it up, Tenta, I think, gives Warlord the best match he's ever had. I didn't think it was possible, but yeah, Warlord has a good match here with Tenta, and, you know, gotta give it up to John for bringing that out of him. By January 94, Earthquake would be back in the WWF for what the good brothers call a cup of coffee. He'd start working on the brand shiny new Monday Night Raw. He'd go on a European tour with Adam Bomb before squashing him in a few seconds at WrestleMania 10. And then Yoko Zuna and Earthquake would start working house shows together. And this would all culminate after challenges back and forth on Raw's. To have Earthquake versus Yokozuna in an actual sumo match. 516.94 if you want to look it up. You get to see all the ring ropes taken down. They're in their sumo wrestler gear. And you got John, who was an actual sumo, knows everything. And then you got Yoko, who's pretending to be a sumo. And John starts off doing all the customary sumo wrestler things to start the match. Throwing the salt and poses and everything. And Yoko seems to be, like, following behind him. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm doing. He's kind of just pantomiming him right afterwards. Like, he's a kid in class copying the smart kid's homework. It's just like, um, the traditions are not really there for Yoko. But, you know, he gets them because John's doing them. The match kind of is what it is. They they tease the shit out of it. (laughs) The crowd even starts booing at one point. But, you know, John eventually gets an advantage and pushes Yoko off and gets the victory. I didn't understand the the logic behind this of like John's gone right after this and Yoko's an actual sumo wrestler according to Kayfabe and they ha- and they kind of bury him here. It's like you're not even good at what you're supposedly great at. Obviously back then the Raws were pre-taped, so this one comes out May 16th, but May 14th at a house show in San Jose, California, Earthquake was actually injured by Yokozuna and Crush. This would put him out of action, and while he was shelved, he left the WWF once again. After his exit from WWF, he'd hit up his old pal, Hulk Hogan, who is now in WCW. Hulkster would put in a good word for him, and that October, Avalanche would make his debut as a member of Kevin Sullivan's Three Faces of Fear, billed at 517 pounds. I mean, how did that pitch go? Like, I love John Tenta. John Tenta should have a job. John Tenta should be in WCW. But, like, 
Does it go like John Tente goes, well, I'll call somebody in WCW. Or is it like, well, let me call old Terry up. And then Terry's like, what's going on, brother? What's up, John? Oh, okay. Oh, oh yeah. What's your status? Okay. <laughs> All right, free and clear? All right, let me talk to Eric. Hangs on the phone. Eric, good news. John Tenta's available. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I, I love John Tenta, but like this Eric goes, sold. Like, give that, give me Earthquake immediately. I would sign him. Um, can't call him Earthquake. We'll just do what we did with Big Bubba Rogers. We'll just call him the boss. Then we'll get threatened to sue, and then we'll give him the <laughs> yeah. dumbest fucking gimmick possible. Then we'll get to something else, and then, you know, maybe we'll just keep him under contract for three years. They did try to sue him over the Avalanche name because it was similar to Earthquake. They don't sound similar, and they're not the same thing. One is an Avalanche, and one is a fucking Earthquake. Like, how could it be? You oh, sound like disasters. a lawyer from WC. <laughs> you don't sound the same. And then what you, you want to run up against the fucking shark of all sharks jerry mcdivitt and you would have gotten fucked <laughs> up son in court if that's your argument that they don't even sound the fucking same right up front avalanche is working in the main event scene his first big match would be clash of champions 29 where he the butcher and kevin sullivan took on hulk hogan sting and dave sullivan one of those things is not like the other uh in a six-man tag match was mr t a special guest referee jesus and uh, this match is, you know, if you're an Earthquake fan, this is cool. I mean, you're you're seeing him take on Sting. Uh, it ends with uh, no. uh, Mr. T and Sullivan are fighting over Jimmy Hart's megaphone. Oh, In the scuffle, so Sullivan kind of gets hit with it. But uh, that, that lays him out, allowing Hulk to uh, get the cover. And then uh, after the Faces of Fear, beat him down. Also, right at the end of this match, Beefcake has Hogan in a sleeper for three entire minutes. And I'm always interested in moments in wrestling where someone should be fucking dead. And Hogan should have been dead about a minute into the sleeper hold. And a noteworthy match around this time is Avalanche versus Alex Davis and George South in a handicap match on WCW Saturday Night 11, 1994, if you want to look it up. And Jake, did you get any Tenta George South stuff? No, I did. Well, here I, I forgot to ask George about it uh, this week, but um, I was gonna say like l last night I was watching random matches and I was just typing in like names like Bobby Eaton and fucking <laughs> yeah. and Brad Armstrong. I didn't realize I could do that, and then I like like I see if George has got, and then I found like a match where he wrestled Rock and Roll Express. I'm like, oh, this is weird. I guess <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, this, this match is still going on today, <laughs> but yeah, I missed out. Sorry. Heenan has the line of the match when Avalanche goes to power slam George and Heenan busts out his pun machine and gives you a, George should be going south now. So thank you, Bobby Heenan. I just did an article, greatest job guys of all time, and I put George South the fuck over in it. They editorialize it a bit, so we'll see what gets left in and stuff, but. I hope you didn't fucking put over Barry Harwood because he's on my fucking naughty list. Oh, no. But the thing is, but a few weeks ago, I would agree with you, but I come to find out. You challenged week, him. Well, yeah, I, it was on the virtual gimmick table. He was watching my show, and I loved it. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. And then I put him, another one of his promos, on the virtual gimmick table this past week. And then somebody's like, hey, you know, Barry's doing the same exact thing at the same exact time. This motherfucker. What? And I go, excuse. I was, I got super Oh, my God. Hot. I go, Barry Horowitz is going head to fucking head 
bed with me. Fuck you, Barry Horowitz. <laughs> like, how dare you turn your back on me? Like, I fucking look, I put you over, motherfucker. Fuck you. Fuck you, Barry. You broke my fucking heart. So, but apparently he's only got 20 people watches his. When I have 220 on fucking average. <laughs> Pat yourself on the back. I think Kevin Gill said it best. I, I don't think I got it all right because I didn't see it. So it's tough to. Apparently, he said that Barry only pats other people on the back when he has a knife in his hand. Oh, I think that was that. Dang. That's a Pulitzer Award winning one right there. So <laughs> put is. that in your article, Nicholas. <laughs> that's a t shirt right there. Tenta would get his first Starcade match December 94, taking on uh, Sting. Uh, this match is too long <laughs> for about five minutes. One of my main takeaways from this match is that. You know, Nick cares so much about who sings the national anthem at all the WrestleManias, but did you bother to see who sang it at Starcade, Nick? Fucking Conway Twitty or some shit? Uh, you're not that far off. His name is Aaron Tippin. Anybody, anybody know who that is? Some bullshit of like my daddy's like hard work. If you don't work hard, you're not a real fucking man. A day's work is a value of this. Uh, make America great again. <laughs> The titles are a little bit different, but thematically, you nailed it. Aaron Tippin's two big hits were Working Man's PhD and the Desert Storm hit classic. I'm, all, I'm sure we all remember, Got to Stand for Something. My daddy told me you better stand for something or you fall for an ass hang. Strong mustache guy, too, Aaron Tippin. I can't hate too much. Even though I guarantee on Twitter he's fucking uh, screaming All Lives Matter in all caps. <laughs> 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 so, uh, following Quake's DQ Starcade loss to Sting, they'd hit the house show loops to start up 1994. Uh, he was also tagging with the Butcher to take on Hulk and Sting, or Macho Man. But, you know, working Macho Man, Sting, Hogan, that ain't, that's, that ain't bad. You're main eventin'. Listen, when Terry fucking picked up the phone and then hung it up and said, Eric, good news, John Tent is available. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you gotta put him in that main event spot right there. So we mentioned the lawsuit. He would have to drop the name. So Tinta pivots to a uh, Olumberto Brennis reference. The shark. I can't believe you just made that fucking reference. The shark would be back uh, with Sullivan and the Dungeon of Doom faction. And uh, they would get into a fall brawl war games match against the Hulkamaniacs. Hulk, Macho Man, Luger, Sting taking on Kamala. The Zodiac, Ming, and old uh, fucking Shark Boy here. Uh, the thing I really enjoyed was Buffer's intro for the shark. The shark hailing from the Great Barrier Reef from 20,000 <laughs> leagues under the sea. <laughs> Hulk puts the Zodiac in the camel clutch, breaks his fucking back, makes him humble, picks up the win. And then per the stipulation, Hogan gets a one-on-one -on -one with Sullivan, but he is saved by the giant who snaps his fucking neck. It is very graphic. God, you know what we really missed out on? We fucking what? missed out on, because unfortunately we're doing an episode on him right now and he's not with us. But we had we had a few years where this could have happened if, it, if like, the timelines synced up properly. We should have had the shark and Shark Boy as a fucking oh tag team. Yeah. Wouldn't that be amazing? What the yeah. fuck is that about? If uh, like if it was just right, those guys would have been Impact Wrestling Tag Team Champions <laughs> four times over at least. Ah, oh, damn it! Now I'm sad. Yeah, you fucking should be. You fucking should be. 
In some dumb, pointless trivia, the Shark had the first title shot on the first two-hour Nitro against the Giant. And you didn't need or want to know that, but now you do. I'm sorry. So uh, the Shark works early episodes of Nitro. He's part of World War III. Uh, then he goes on another gimmick change where he does quite the promo with Mean Gene. I am not a shark. <laughs> I am not a fish. Hold on, hold on, quick. He always had that very like <laughs> yelly, like but underneath his voice type of thing. Just like James Drake, he's just like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> uh, it's almost like Stone Coldy kind of sense, but, but like it's almost like he's, he's like almost like he's out of breath, but so he's got to yell a lot more, but it never gets past a fucking barrier of a sense. I like how he delivered his promos, like, swaying back and forth like you were about to pick him in a video game. He's an earthquake, man. He's just constantly moving. And then we get into uh, Earthquake's last WCW feud here with Big Bubba. He shaves half of uh, Tinta's head, who uh, (laughs) decides to keep it to live with the embarrassment. The best part of this feud is, is that John Tinta gets his head shaved by Big Bubba Rogers, and Bubba hangs on to the hair. He just keeps it in his hands, and he uses it to taunt Tinta wherever they go. I think he does it on Saturday night. He does it in multiple places, so he's walking around with Tinta's hair the whole time. It's so weird. No, the funniest part of this whole feud is John Tenta's about 27 years old at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, are, we are talking about, like, oh, man, he's past his prime. He was like, no, the man is still very clearly in his fucking prime. And then later, Tinta cuts off some of Big Bubba's beard for revenge. And I just put it in my notes. I'll read it right here. Wow, this feud has oceans of psychology. Tinta would use his real name moving on to face Big Bubba. They'd meet each other at the 96th Great American Bash where he beat Big Bubba. And then that's when he shaves some of his his beard off. Uh, And then (laughs) the two would head into uh, Bash at the Beach 96 in a Carson City Silver Dollar match. Clearly the most famous match at this 1996 Bash at the Beach. They take a sock full of fucking silver dollars and put it on a pole. And if you watch it, you'll see that the pole's like literally 10 to 15 feet up in the air. And there's there's no way that Tenta or Big Bubba could get it. So that's why they send Jimmy Hart up there to risk his life. Jimmy does. He gets the coins. But Tenta takes them and fucks Bubba up, getting the win. After the Big Bubba feud, John Tenta would leave the WCW. One little tidbit that I really liked at the end of the Carson City Silver Dollar match is Tenta puts silver dollars on each of Bubba's eyes as he's laying there in the ring, kind of owed to the old Eastwood Westerns when they would put money on the dead man as he was lying in the dirt. It's a nice little touch. And there's one little thing here that I had no clue about, but there was a whole short-lived angle with Roddy Piper creating the family to combat the NWO at Uncensored 97. And he basically came out and said that all these guys were going to challenge him, and if they put up a good fight, he'd put them on his team. And it was just random dudes. You got a guy who would eventually become Roadblock, but Tinta was one of the real deal people that people at least recognize. So Piper constructs this team, and then a week later, Flair and Arn Anderson go to Piper and offer up the horsemen. And Piper's like, well, but I got my family. And then they offer again. He's like, all right, fuck my family. And he just kind of pushes them to the side. And they just kind of forget this entire angle. But it's one of those angles that like, oh, this is going to be something. And then a week later, they're like, nah, this sucks. Let's change gears. Well, I don't think they were supposed to go through it. I think it was like, hey, this is illustrate how bad off Piper is. And we need like, some actual <laughs> fucking help here. I think that's kind of what they were going for. Like, I don't think they were going to go through with the family. I think it's more like, Roddy, you're, you're crazy. Let us help. 
Tenta would resurface in the WWF May 25th, 1998 on Raw is War. Uh, during this time off, he cut a bit of weight, so the earthquake gimmick wouldn't make quite as much sense. So they stuck him in the most terrifying serial killer mask ever, slept him with a Cartman shirt, and called him Golga. And man, it's gotta be weird. Anytime these like old school guys came back to the WWF during the Attitude Era, it's like such a different game. It's such a different company. Like it had to be trippy. Fucking old school guy. John Tent is 31 years old at this fucking time. Like he's a young fucking man. Like he is. I would refer to him as kid if he walked up to me right now. But yeah, it's it's weird that he was Golga because I didn't realize he was Golga until like maybe three years. That ago. same. That was like that was like that's John Tenta. What the fuck? So this is an interesting debut because uh, if you remember the Jackal, uh, what was his ECW name, Micah? And Cyrus. Yeah, he was great on the mic. Brings out uh, some Howard Stern celebrities, the Angry Dwarf and Crackhead Bob. His full name is Hank the Angry Dwarf. Please call him by his Christian name. Right Hank back. dropped some F-bombs into a live WWF mic. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the oddities come out, led by Luna. You got Golga, Luna, uh, Giant Silva's there. And then uh, afterwards, Golga would take on Thrasher from the uh, Headbangers and put him away with a power slam. The best moment is at the end of the match when Cyrus and Crackhead Bob are leaving the commentating booth. So you get to hear Jim Ross say the phrase, We'll see you there, Crackhead! Golga gets his first pay-per-view at a 98 SummerSlam, a three-on-four handicap match with the Oddities, taking on Kai and Tai, which is, this is like surprisingly a fun match. Kai and Tai is pretty brilliant. The finish of this match is phenomenal. You got Kurgan and Giant Silva double choke slamming all four members of Kai and Tai, and then Golga hits a splash on all of them for the quadruple pin. It's so good. MSG's popping like crazy. It's cool to see. The oddities would uh, keep working Kai and Tai and the Headbangers doing some episodes of Raw. They'd end up on In Your House, Rock Bottom, December 13th, 98, where uh, Golga and Kurgan lost to the Headbangers. In 99, Golga would enter the Royal Rumble at three and was quickly bounced by Steve Austin. And shortly after, the entire oddity stable was shit-canned. From there, it's, uh, you know, rare appearances. He did show back up at uh, the WWF Gimmick Battle Royal 2001 at WrestleMania 17, where he was tossed by Kamala, R.I.P. God, if we would have done this episode last week, the mention them and kill them curse would be alive and well, man. And one little 2001 hidden gem that I'd recommend checking out. It's a SmackDown dark match that Tenta participated in it was him as earthquake in his old gear and everything coming out to his old music versus john tank Maloche, who's apparently one of john's students but i got so nostalgic watching this match you can feel the crowd popping right when his music hits and he comes out and they're like oh shit it's the old earthquake it's so heartwarming to see them just take to him like it's 10 years before. He does all his spots and he hits the big earthquake butt splash and the crowd just seriously goes crazy for it. You can really feel all the love that the crowd still has after all these years for the earthquake character and for Tenta in general. Tenta would spend 02 and 03 working in all Japan under his real name, but then he retired from professional wrestling in 2004. But sadly and tragically, it would soon be revealed that he developed bladder cancer. Just a brutal, brutal, brutal diagnosis. Uh, he had 20% chance to live. 
had to do the chemo treatments, the whole nine yards. That's terrible diagnosis. Despite doing everything he could, the cancer spread. And at the age of 42, we lost John Tenta, June 7th, 2006. I think this is another interesting bubble guy without using the argument of, well, they inducted a pair of socks that Razor Ramon wore one time. Do you think Earthquake's in the Hall of Fame? I mean, just Hogan and Earthquake's feud, That's that gets him in. I mean, how big was that for early 90s WWF? I mean, it was the first time where Hogan seemed mortal. So many kids, including me, were just traumatized but captivated and sucked in and how important that was that'll always stick with me and stick with so many people and then you got i mean he had the tag title run with the natural disasters and all the other stuff but i mean the hogan earthquake feud i mean that that by itself he's easily in the hall of fame i wonder why he isn't i mean i know they have so many people to get to and like he seemingly has a pretty good relationship with the company he's well-remembered, well-liked. You know, we mentioned all his accolades and accomplishments. Why, why the fuck? Why, why is Earthquake not in there? He's just like a well-deserving dude. It's He's just, not in there. It's one of those guys you forget about. If, if people aren't screaming about it online, you know, they're not going to bring it up. And then you know, there's only so many guys from that 80s golden era you can put in. You know, you got to work those in slowly because it's all about a wide variety of things. You got to have some guys yeah, in the 70s and then, you know, you got to have some from the 90s and now the Attitude Era guys. And now we're going to start working ECW mm-hmm. guys in. And now we also got to bring in NWA guys as well. And so it's just kind of like you think about 80s guys. I mean, they just put in the British Bulldog. Yeah. So like it could be like three or four more years before we ever talk about Earthquake going in. As sad as that sounds. I just think it's one of those situations where they basically have like a list of guys they know are going to get in, but they're just kind of pacing it out in a way. Kind of like Jake said, they need variety of the type of wrestlers that they put in each year. So it's just kind of fitting those guys in at the right time. Because, I mean, he's definitely going in. It's just a matter of when. He's a duh for me. Yeah, because the the Hall of Fame is just like a TV show now. It's not about like this guy was deserving, this guy wasn't deserving. Exactly. He's he's for sure one of those guys, hands down. I don't think there was any fucking question about him being in the Hall or not. All right, well, final thoughts on the great John Tenta. You know, we've had a lot of fun with John Tenta looking like... Look at like a fifty-seven-year-old man while he's twenty-seven. We've had we've had a lot of fun with that, and even uh, even to expand to like ah John Tenta coming into WCW. But in all actuality, tremendous guy, and it, I'm seriously sad we never got Shark Boy and Shark. Like, I'm just very like I'm very upset about that now that I just booked that in my fantasy head. But from every recollection, I, I nothing but good stories. I think even Kyle O'Reilly said he met John Tenta at an airport, and he was just a nice man, and like nothing but good things to say about the man who was dependable. He had a main event run with Hulk, so it speaks to his caliber and his ability. Had memorable moments like squishing the snake was a big deal. Attacking Hogan was a big deal. Like having big memorable moments during that time is extremely important. And, you know, I do commentary for Wrestling Revolver, and uh, one of the bigger stars in Wrestling Revolver is Larry D, who's Impact Wrestling Superstar Larry D. And I've said multiple times on commentary like larry d a young john tenta and well i kind of <laughs> chuckle at that and they think i'm just making a big weird joke when actually right. honestly, it's the highest regard of badassery i can attach to somebody 
And like I always have to explain it every time I bring it up, people just kind of chuckle. I'm like, no, 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 John Ted that was a badass, super cool dude, sizable man. So that's like a a compliment that people think is a slight when really in actuality it's one of the highest compliments I can give. Man, in a world of Vince pushing every 300 pounder he could find, Tenta was one of the good ones. Everything about him was so believable and real. And then you find out he's 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 a shoot badass that just adds to like the the aura of of, of earthquake of John Tenta, the natural disasters. I mean that's a that's a fucking tag team, man. Like it doesn't matter if it's like a bar fight, a wrestling match, whatever. Those two dudes show up. You're like, oh, they win. They're gonna win. There's such just big bruising badass dudes, and you know earthquake stuff. Obviously, his best run. Uh, he was. So underrated as as a guy who was a legitimate threat to Hulk Hogan. Like, he, it felt so real. We brought up the little things he did, the sway on his promos, because he's an earthquake. The, the stomp before his finisher was so good. I mean, you can be just a big guy and be scary and, and, and dominate. But when you start adding those little gears to, like, your character and your, and your matches, it just, it, it elevates you. It makes you one of the greats. I love that he did the wrestle crap message board. I mean, that's a cool way to, you know, keep up with fans. Cool random story. During his LSU days, uh, you know, we're in Louisiana during the 80s. There was some race stuff. A couple guys were ganging up on a, on a person of color. John Tenta rolls through, beats the shit out of them all, saves the two. I mean, that's just, that's great. Make the world a better place, punch a racist. Everyone describes him as a family man. One of the nicest dudes in the business which makes the Koji thing even more terrifying when you when you take the nice guy and flip him to that element of rage it's it's not going to it's going to end badly for you. He's just awesome. Big fan. Put this guy in the Hall of Fame for the love of God. I think the thing that really stood out to me with John is that he was just impressive in every single way, man. Father, human being in general, and then just true shoot badass. The one clip I found that really kind of gave me the most look at John is a person. It's on YouTube. I don't know if anybody ever used to watch USA's Up All Night with Rhonda Shear. This is like late 80s, early 90s. Kind of an Elvira chick. She would host B-movies on USA because they had a tie-in with Raw. And John is on there as Earthquake doing promos. Razor Ramon does one too, if you want to look it up. But John's on there trying to cut promos with Rhonda. And she's flirting with him and throwing all types of sexual innuendos at him. And John can't keep it together most of the times so he's trying to be intimidating but he can't because deep down he's just a big old lovable teddy bear and you see him almost blushing with Rhonda and all flirting with him and it's so cool to see I, I of all the things I've recommended please go check that out because it really it's heartwarming as hell Jake brought up how Stu put over John Bret Hart put over John real hard on um, Stone Cold's podcast Said he was one of the toughest dudes he ever met in his life. So for Brett to say that, who's not big on compliments, you know it means something. The other thing I loved, John was always working. Like so many guys, like they have their time to shine and then they just make money off that period. They just kind of mail it in ever since then. But John just was out there. He loved pro wrestling so much, man. Even as Golga, he's out there doing drop kicks. Like he didn't have to do that shit. He, he did that because he knew it would get a reaction. The fans would love it. He's given that little extra effort and because he just loved the art of wrestling. I can't stress it enough. Watch the Koji Katow shoot. Just need a reminder if you haven't seen it. Oh my God. It's one of those things I'm just going to make random people watch. Like, nah, but you got to see this. John was just successful at everything he attempted. 
which people like that just blow me away. You're just like, eh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. And it's like, oh, I did good at that. I did good at that. It's just, it, John did it. Every, his li What a life he lived, man. And I guess I just want everyone to know that John Tenta was the fucking man. Know it. That is the episode on the great and powerful earthquake. This episode is brought to you by the motherfucking cash app and uh, on it.com. Is that Joe Rogan's things? All right. Please leave us a rating and a review. That just helps us support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Tim Bell pod for the love of God. Check out selling in, uh, find us on the social medias. Go see Jake wrestle. Maybe if that's still a thing, but beware of earthquakes. We did this episode. I'm sure we're going to cause a rift in the tectonic plates. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Man Scout, Jake Manning. Thank you very much for listening to 10 Bell Pod. I can't thank you guys enough for being subscribers and people who leave reviews, but also too, big, big thank you to people who are our patrons on Patreon. Now, some of you may be hearing that like, wait a minute, I'm not a, a patron on a Patreon for you guys. And you might be like, hey, I want to do that. I want to, and I want an extra thank you. I left a review. I subscribe, but I want an extra thank you from the Man Scout Jake Manning because that third thank you doesn't apply to you unless you are a patron on our Patreon page. Make sure you check it out at patreon.com slash 10bellpod.